Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the World Trade Center Arkansas Gateways podcast. Join us as we welcome trade directors, diplomats, lawmakers, officials, and business leaders to talk workforce stories, trade issues, exporting obstacles, and explore helpful resources to expand your global horizons. The Gateways podcast is produced in collaboration with the University of Arkansas Global Campus and is recorded in the Global Campus Studio. The World Trade Center's mission is to grow trade for the state, serving as the export promotion arm of the Arkansas Economic Development Commission. We are part of the University of Arkansas Fayetteville and fulfill its land-grant mission to serve the state and beyond as a resource and a catalyst. So get comfortable, grab a pen and paper, and be ready to take notes so that you can walk away with the knowledge you need to open up the next gateways to opportunity. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sam Cushman with the World Trade Center, Arkansas. I am in the studio with Helen Maringer today of Shire Post Mint. Helen, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? Doing pretty well. Thank you for joining us today. So can you begin by telling our listeners uh, who Shire Post Mint is? So Shire Post Mint is a small minting company. So we make coins. We're based in Springdale, Arkansas. Started by my father, Tom Maringer. Um, and I am now the newly named CEO. Oh, well, congratulations. Thank so you. this is very much a family business. Absolutely. Absolutely. When did you, when did y'all begin? So my dad started making coins in 2001. My dad collected coins when he was a kid. I think a lot of people do. I've. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I've Certainly. realized from having this job and talking to people that pretty much everybody had at least one or two coins that they kept for reasons other than the monetary value, which to me means you're a coin collector. Yeah. (laughs) So my dad collected coins and he traveled with his family a lot um, and he would be in like a different country and he said that when he looked at the coins in his pocket, that was really grounding for him and gave him a sense of place. So he always had those those things tied together, like sense of place and coins and stamps and things like that. And he was a really big fan of The Lord of the Rings. And when he read those books, there's one mention of coins in the entire series. And it's in The Fellowship of the Ring, when the hobbits buy Bill the Pony and Bree for 12 silver pennies. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that image of those 12 silver pennies really stuck in his head. And he would imagine what those would look like for years. Yeah. Fast forward to 2001, at which point he had been a knife and sword maker for many years. As like a a blacksmith almost? Yeah. He actually came to Arkansas because of A.G. Russell, the knife company. Certainly. And then kind of split off and did his own thing. I see. Made really beautiful custom knives and swords. Yeah. Um, So he had this blacksmith shop and all this blacksmithing knowledge. And then he stumbles upon an antique coin press in someone's garage in Columbus, Ohio. And he says to himself, well, I guess I got to make these coins that have (laughs) been floating around my head for all these years. Yeah. So he buys the press, buys a trailer brings it back to Arkansas, sets it up in the shop, and then says, okay, well, how do I make a coin? <laughs> so he gets some books. Yeah. And he makes a penny from the Shire. And it was just fan art at that point. Mm-hmm. And he shares it online with some other fans, and they're super excited about it. And it kind of floats around for a little bit. And then somebody 
knows the author George R. R. Martin, who wrote the Game of Thrones series, he says, "Hey, wow. this guy writes about coins. You sh- you guys should get connected." And so that's about 2003. Okay. So that's when my dad first got licensing to make yeah what what, what book on in the Song of Ice and Fire series was George Martin on um, at that point 2003 because this is way before the series yeah about right? seven years before the HBO series premiered yeah. um, I think he'd written two or three books on the series yeah yeah wow and so they got connected yeah and my dad started developing coins <laughs> from George's world mm-hmm. um, there's one really important coin. In the story, for those who are fans, probably know of it, the Iron Coin of the Faceless Man, yeah. which Arya Stark gets. So obviously that one was an important coin to make, but um, they developed over 40 different coins from Wessos. <laughs> Westeros, right? From Westeros and Essos. Yeah. I blended those two together. Um, so, did, so did George Martin, did he, has he been by the Mint? Has he... Uh, is he involved at all in some of the things that you produce? He hasn't been to Arkansas. We visited him in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He's not super involved in the coin making process. He kind of entrusts Tom to make good coins. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, they've had back and forth about different designs in the past. So, but that but that's really interesting because then because that is a very prominent individual now in today's pop culture who is helping to influence an Arkansas company become more successful and you know produce a product that really perhaps resonates with the fans. So, you but you have more so you so you have the license for Game of Thrones. Yes. But you also have other licenses for other titles, right? So what about what are some of these other licenses? So from the success of Game of Thrones, we were able to uh, approach other licensors and get licensing in the more traditional way other than, hey, my friend is this author. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've gotten uh, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, which of course was really huge for my dad because that's yeah. kind of yeah. what started it all. And Conan the Barbarian uh, by Robert E. Howard. The Wheel yeah, of Time certainly. by Robert Jordan, Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson, which is our newest license we're really excited yeah. about, um, John Carter of Mars, and the Saga of Recluse, and I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. Oh, uh, well, but I'm, certainly these are available on the website, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so what is the URL? How can people go on to and see all the coins? It's shirepost.com, S-H-I-R-E-P-O-S-T.com. Okay, so what is it like? So you, so before, when you obtain the license, what is that process like? You said it was it began as something informal. What has it evolved into today? Well, it definitely depends on who the licensors are. Um Oh, another very important license is The Kingkiller Chronicle by Patrick Rothfuss. Okay. Um, So authors like that, we can still approach pretty much in person. Sometimes they'll meet at um, a convention like Worldcon, which is a Mm -hmm. science fiction and fantasy convention. I know we've met a few licensors there. Um, Other times you'll need to go through like a literary agency if they haven't gotten any movie or TV deals. Mm -hmm. If they have, then the licensing usually goes upwards to the movie studio. In the case of The Lord of the Rings, that licensing is split up between 
New Line, which is it's New Line and the Tolkien Estate, mm-hmm. and then the other side is <coughs> the Salzance Company and Middle Earth Enterprises. So, the books and the animated movies are belong to Middle Earth Enterprises. And then the live action movies and the Silmarillion and all of Tolkien's personal letters, those are with New Line. I see. So we decided to go with Middle Earth Enterprises because all we need is book lore. We don't need movie imagery. Yeah. So we had to approach them. So yeah, it, it just really depends on who you're going for. If you're going for someone like Disney, we are not at that level. <laughs> I see, I see. So I think I think a lot of people are going to be interested in maybe your process for coin making. Of course. It seems like it's going to be, one, it's pretty unique. Um, um, but then Woody, your brother, does a lot of the engraving by hand, right? He'll, mm-hmm. ca- he'll make the die, he'll engrave the dies by hand. So what is that like? What do you go, when you have it, how do you develop a design? What, what are your inspirations? And then... And then how do you take that design, that concept, and actually put it onto a coin? Sure. So from the ground up, the kind of thesis that we have about all of our coins in general is that they come from the world. They're coins that would exist there, that the characters would have in their pockets. So we reference ancient coins, medieval coins, Viking coins. We look at the way that they are engraved, the way that people or gods or... Just the important elements of the culture are inscribed and transmitted via coinage. So when we make art, we will have to decide like who goes on the coin, what language will it be in, Mm -hmm. what art style will they use, what metal is it, how big is it. Mm-hmm. And then once we've decided all those things, factors. Absolutely. Do you, can I a quick question? Do sure. you find that over the course of human history, what people have put on coinage has remained pretty consistent? Hmm, that's a good question. It's really dependent on culture. You know, people are putting the most important things on a coin. Like if you if you know nothing else about the civilization, this is what you need to know. So it's usually whoever's ruling because mm-hmm. it's. You know, it's about all about money. So whoever has the money to make coins, they're gonna put their values on it. And usually, it's their own face. Yeah. Um, I think for Roman coins, they didn't have actual people on them until Caesar, and then that kind of started rulers putting themselves on money. So yeah, it, it really depends on the culture. It's kind of a window into their priorities at the time. That's a really interesting way to put that. Yeah. Um, so so taking all these elements and then putting it onto, well, once you have these, how do you then, like what is the process of putting that onto the coin itself? Yeah, so say we have a 2D design, it could even be just pencil on paper. So my brother will take that and he has a machine called a pantograph. It engraves into the steel, but it's still done by hand. It's like a one to five reduction engraver. So he traces the design of the coin, and then it'll reduce that and engrave it right onto the steel. So what that does is gives him like a, an outline, mm-hmm. some good lines to then fill in completely by hand. So all the finishing of every coin is engraved by hand, and he'll use various metalworking tools. My brother has developed some engraving techniques 
that I think are pretty new. He was not a trained engraver. He just taught himself how to do it. That's very impressive. Yeah. And the, one of the cool things about doing that is you don't have to go with the conventions of this is how you engrave something. You can kind of make it up as you go and might find some really amazing <laughs> shortcuts. Yeah, so so let me ask about that. So there, I think there are advantages to being an, I guess maybe you could call it, call it like an unorthodox, untrained engraver, because then you really have the ability to develop your own style. But then there are advantages, maybe you could say, to learning, I guess, more to being trained in some of the more technical aspects. But how do you think it's been an advantage to you to have Woody be able to, to kind of develop his own personal his own personal skills? Yeah, I think it really has been an advantage. Um, you know, part of what we're going for with ShirePost is something that is not super refined. Like, if these people weren't trained artists, if they didn't know how to engrave, mm-hmm. maybe this is what they would make. Um, so the really modern styles of art, of engraving, of machine working, don't even play into it. We're not trained in how to do it, so you're never going to see it come out of our shop. Yeah. So let me ask you something real quick. So I think the modern terms uh, for maybe the levels of skill would be something like a specialist, coordinator, manager, executive. But the historical terms for these things would be uh, like an apprentice, uh, journeyman, and then perhaps master <laughs> for Woody and what your goals for Shire Post meant. What do you think is like the best feel for what you're trying to uh, to put out. Yeah, I we call like Tom Maringer is the master the okay. mint master. The mint master is what we say. And then Woody is our master engraver. Those are words I have used before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fun. That's so we all are seeing a lot of success mm-hmm. recently. And so what types of people are really, you know, are really into these types of coins? Like, where is your market? Is it, what type of demographic? Is it generational? We are learning every day about our fans and our potential customers. So basically anybody who is a fan of The Lord of the Rings, of Game of Thrones, of any of these series could potentially be a customer for us. And, I mean, Game of Thrones is so incredibly popular right now. I'm just kind of following that fire that HBO has made. Right. Um, So we have customers all over the world. Our biggest retailer is Barnes & Noble. We're in about 600 stores. Wow. Yeah, that's very impressive. Yeah. Any local? Any in Arkansas? Yeah. Wow. One in Fayetteville. Okay, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people uh, listening, and myself included, will probably keep an eye out for it next time we walk in. Yeah, check it out. Go to the collectibles section. There's usually like a Game of Thrones area, and we've got some Game of Thrones coins in there. Yeah, I imagine a lot of your... A lot of the people who would buy who would buy Shire Post Mint coins would spend a lot of time in Barnes and Noble. Yeah, because so. a lot of our customers are book readers. Not all of them, of course. I mean, everybody should be a book reader, but that's just personal. But but well, yeah, right, that's just personal, right? Well, I spend a lot of time reading, and you know, in my personal experience, um, 
as a reader, I you know I've loved uh, loved Lord of the Rings when I was living in Europe. I um, I lived in Salzburg, Austria, and I went through the entire Lord of the Rings series during my travels there. Um, I you know I started Game of Thrones in college, never finished it. Um, you know, lots of different. I mean, there's just so much out there. But when you're talking about these fantasy series, I think to have someone like your dad who had who. I, th- I think the similar urge is that we all want something tangible to, to grasp onto from these series that mean so much to us. And your, had, your dad had that urge, that had that feeling, and he carried it around with him for years. And then finally things lined up, he found the coin press, and he was finally able to bring this, uh, this idea to kind of reality, right? Absolutely. And so I think that's one of the, the, the strongest appeals for a product like yours because you're really producing something tangible that resonates with the readers of, and people who have invested so much emotion and time into these series and these titles. Yeah. My dad really enjoys when he hears that people have gotten the coins and hold them in their hand and they have that moment of forgetting where they are and feeling like they're immersed in this world that they may have spent days in. You know, right. in a book or watching a movie or watching a show. And yeah, so absolutely. he really likes that that suspension of disbelief. Well, so you mentioned you have customers and people interested all over the world, yes. right? So what brought you to the World Trade Center, Arkansas? So I was a part of Scale Up Ozarks that Startup Junkie in Fayetteville was running. And um, Denise from the World Trade Center came by and mentioned the Export Tech program. And so I decided to sign up for that because we had scheduled to go to the Spielwaren Messe. Yeah. It's a toy show. The in, International Toy Fair in yes. Germany, Nuremberg. Exactly. Which is enormous. It's the largest toy fair in the world. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to describe how big it is. It took, it probably takes like, 20 minutes to walk from one side to the other just through all the halls mm-hmm. it's enormous <laughs> so i knew that that was upcoming and i wanted to feel like we were ready to export we had some customers overseas already but it was always okay they needed shipment how do we do this mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. figuring it out as we go so i wanted to be a little like preventative in a way or just a little more prepared so i signed up for export tech and then started coming here, and here we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, Export, for those of you listening, Export Tech is a program, it's a national program, but here in Arkansas, the Manufacturing Solutions Division of the Arkansas Economic Development Commission is the one who organizes this program, both in the spring and the fall. And um, you can sign up for it, and they and they develop you. You help. You create. Uh, you're mentored by um, you know by current exporters, uh, staff at the trade center, and you develop an exporting strategy, and it really helps you become export ready. And then um, I think the next step there was that you went on this trade mission yes. with Melvin Torres, our director of uh, Western Hemisphere Trade. Yeah, the European part of it was. Um, late January, early February. Right, and so you went to uh, the Spielwaren Mesa at Nuremberg, you went to, uh, you went, and you went to Spain, to Barcelona and Madrid, right? Yes. So what were you hoping to achieve in these markets? Familiarity and just letting people know that we exist. Because we found that a lot of people, they get our product, they get our market, 
but they just don't know that we're there. So as many people as I can get in front of and kind of share a little bit of our story means we're going to get some customers out of that. So were these people customers or retailers, distributors, businesses? Yeah, it's, it was primarily a business-to-business trip. Um, so we met with some distributors, some retailers, some press. Mm-hmm. Um, there were quite a lot of people who were there for other reasons, like there were educators, but they stopped by because they were just personally really interested in wow. the product. Yeah. So, so that's um, I think when we take companies on these trade missions, that's typically our as our strategy. We find we try to um, arrange these business to business meetings, and then uh, one of our trade directors will be there to facilitate. Um, so, how did maybe this World Trade Center strategy help you during this trade mission? It definitely put me in front of companies that I wouldn't have chosen for myself. I think with a company like ours, the strengths that I see in our business are how malleable we can be because our product can function in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be so many things to so many different businesses. So we not only do our licensed coins, but we do manufacturing for other companies, um, either with coins, pendants. Um, We've done like spinning tops. We have a wide range of things we can do, which means we have a wide range of people we can work with. So um, Melvome is able to connect me with some people that we're discussing custom projects with, um, like us doing manufacturing for them. And of course, because he speaks Spanish, he was able to connect with a lot of Spanish-speaking companies and get some, get some good feet in the door. Yeah, so do you see those doorways opening for you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. Well, I under- also understand that you met with a publisher in Spain. Yeah, I met with a few publishers. What was the result of those meetings? Just some really good introductions. I think everybody is really, they absolutely understand what we're doing and where the value is. So now it's just trying to figure out if there's ways that we can work together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that there are, definitely with a few contacts that I have. Um, the good thing is all of these publishers were publishing these licenses that we already have just in Spanish. Right, right. So you're kind of meeting there with the common ground. Yeah, and we already have product developed. We're not asking them to like give us money so we can make this thing for you. It's like, hey, do you want to use some of these really amazing things to add value to your amazing things? Mm-hmm. And everybody wins. So these publishers, do you th- maybe see something like, I don't know, like, so say you walk into Barnes & Noble and you see collector's editions of books and everything, and sometimes they give you a neat little, like, relic or trinket to go along with these. Do you see Sharpost Mint coinage or or products being brought into these markets in a way like that? Absolutely. That's kind of the vision that I have. And when I met with one in particular, I think they had a really similar vision. So now we just have to figure out if the pricing works and okay. get yeah. it approved and all that. Well, good. Stuff. Yeah, congratulations. We all, yeah, we love it when uh, you know these Arkansas companies can find success like that on uh, on these trade missions. It's about you know getting in there, opening doorways, having these conversations, and then you know coming together to meet each other's needs, and then exporting the product, Absolutely. right? Which is what our mission is here to grow that trade. So um, we all, one of the things the World Trade Center does is we connect people with uh, United States uh, um, commercial service officials. And the USCS has. Um, lots of different programs in place 
to, to basically help people. So when we were, when Melvin was able to kind of put you in front of USCS officials in Germany and Spain, uh, how did that help achieve your expansion goals? So meeting them was starting the conversation, and I think going forward, um, we're absolutely going to be able to expand into some like very large retailers, get in front of some people that we don't have the contacts for. Mm-hmm. Like getting a meeting with Barnes & Noble I honestly don't know how they did that because usually I think small companies need to find like people who know people, right? contacts, whether that's someone like USCS. So we need someone to be able to connect us to a few really big retailers that I've been eyeing, but I'm not able to get that contact. Yeah. So they're going to be able to kick our business up a notch. Right. It's about developing relationships with people who already have those relationships and then leveraging those relationships. Absolutely. And so <laughs> and so that's what we kind of specialize in here. Um, a lot of our trade directors, uh, Melvin and Denise and Boone, all of them have lots of these relationships in place. And we utilize those to help Arkansas companies like yours. So um, Melvin also visited some retailers and conglomerates on behalf of Shirepost Mint. Yes. How are these visits able to help you? So I now have those contacts and those introductions, and I'm preparing some samples and some introductory emails to just tell them exactly, here's what we can do, and here's how it's going to add value Mm -hmm. to your customers. Okay, so so once that takes place, what then becomes the vision? What's the next step for Shirepost Mint? I want us to be a known resource for awesome collectibles. I know there are some other companies that kind of exist on that realm, and I think we're getting there, mm-hmm. but I want us to be at that level. I want us to see, I want to see our products in every major market in the world. I'm going to start with Europe yeah, and Australia and New Zealand. We're getting close there. Okay. Yeah, I just want to see our coins everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want every potential fan who would love this to know that we exist and have the option of buying it at a price that doesn't kill them with VAT and all that. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, let me ask this. For a company that may be listening today, what advice would you give them to pursue like an export strategy or expansion goals? For expansion goals in general, I would talk to as many people as you can find businesses that have a similar market that you do, figure out how they're reaching their market, whether it's through stores, through social media, bloggers. Um, Keep your options open and remember what your goals are. Like I have gotten some amazing advice from other business owners, people who are not business owners, but understand our industry understand the market and knowing when to take their advice and when to prioritize their advice and then when to almost ignore it because I understand what my goals are and that that's not going to get me any closer to that has been really important in what types of resources uh, have helped you Definitely the Scale Up Ozarks program that Startup Junkie did was incredible for connecting me to other resources, some of which I have pursued, like the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like building that network and reaching out to people that I meet. Trade fairs, um, not being afraid to ask for help from people around me or other businesses. I've been really blown away by how much people want to share and teach. Mm -hmm. 
and also learn. Yeah. <laughs> Realizing that I have valuable things that I can share. Certainly. As well, pretty cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Everyone, we hope you have a pleasant day. Thank you.